Here we go with another edition of Why Wasn't It Better. I'm your host, Patrick Darms. And I'm Anton Paras. And this is the podcast where we discuss hyped up, somewhat disappointing films. We will introduce the film. We will tell you why it was chosen for this episode. We will tell you how it got made and then provide a few reasons that answer the question, why wasn't it better? Just a friendly reminder that our podcast is still very much in its infancy. So please like us, follow us, review us, give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WWIB Podcast. And Anton, we, we have the Instagram now, right? Yeah, we do at WWIB underscore official. Follow us on Instagram as well. If you'd like to communicate us with us directly, you can email us at wwibpodcast at gmail.com. Anton, thank you for setting up the Instagram. That's very exciting news. Well, we, now we have a lot of different ways for uh, our our listeners to get a hold of us. And we love being able to source different questions, comments. So please come at, come at us. Give us everything that you got just because we love interacting with you folks. We sure do. In fact, this this very episode that we're doing today is a sort of direct response to some of the feedback that we have gotten. Because in our last episode, which was Superman 2, Anton, we announced how we were going to talk about Gangs of New York in the next episode. Well, if you were expecting to hear about Gangs of New York today, you're disappointed because we're not here to talk about that. We are doing somewhat of an emergency podcast, if you will, Anton. You had the idea, which I think you got from a listener, but if you didn't, whatever of when are we going to cover a movie that is actually in theaters that people can go see right now? Well, that's what we're here to discuss, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, and I mean, it's exciting. It's just released not too long ago, so still very fresh in theaters. And there are a few stats that we pulled in where we have to put the asterisk and say this number could still be growing, specifically around the box office numbers. It'll be fun. Yeah. Should we start by going into the plot, the overview? Yes. Uh, with help from Princess Peach, Mario gets ready to square off against the all-powerful Bowser to stop his plan from conquering the world, as well as rescue his brother Luigi. The Super Mario Brothers movie was released April 5th, 2023, by Universal Pictures, Illumination, and Nintendo. Directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic. Screenplay by Matthew Fogel, and it's of course based on Super Mario by Nintendo. And the film features the voices of Chris Pratt, Charlie Day, Anya Taylor-Joy, Jack Black, Keegan-Michael Kay, Seth Rogen, Fred Armisen, and Sebastian Maniscalco. A budget of $100 million, and so far, it has made $435 million. I would expect that movie to get close to a billion, especially at the way movies tend to generate revenue these days. This seems like it's going to be a killer because it had a huge opening weekend. Historic opening weekend. Yeah. People clearly like this despite its uh, mediocre Rotten Tomatoes score. So, Anton, why have you chosen this movie? Uh, personally, I felt like it was just a great opportunity. I felt like thinking of the films that we've been doing um, for the most part through our podcast run has typically been films that are from... A different different eras maybe like a decade ago two decades ago and to just change it up a little bit i thought hey i just saw this movie in theaters and i started to get those wheels turning in my head of i felt like this could have been better i felt like that could have been better 
And I thought, hey, why don't we talk about just that? Because this movie in particular, when you look at it, there are different perceptions of how this movie, how good this movie is. I would have loved to discuss this on the podcast with you. So I really appreciate bringing this into the fold. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's this is going to be an interesting one to talk about because I, I honestly, I didn't tell you this when you when you requested it. I had no plans to see this movie in the theater. I knew it was coming, but based on the uh, 1993 live action one, I was just like, well, it's probably best if I just don't see a Mario movie kind of ever again. So I can't say that I was personally excited for this, but to your point, this is certainly a movie that meets the qualifications for this podcast, right? There People were hyped for this movie. There was a pretty high level of of excitement for this. And it is definitely a big deal that Nintendo was even attempting to adapt Mario again. Again, I mentioned the 1993 live action version. If anyone has never seen that movie, just don't waste your time. Leave it on the garbage pile where it belongs. Yeah, it's uh, not the best, but for nostalgia glasses, (laughs) take a look. It's you'll laugh at it. But I think I almost want to like double down on that statement of this is a pretty big deal that that's the Super Mario Brothers movie was greenlit by Nintendo to like bring this out because Mario is arguably the most iconic video game character in all of video games. I don't think when it's you close. Think of, yeah, it's for that. There's a lot of pressure to get it right. Yeah. The more you were like hyping it up to me the more i like agreed with you because at first i was like ah, oh, mario and then i'm like i didn't even realize that that 1993 movie was the last time nintendo ever attempted any kind of a live screen or should i say big screen adaptation i didn't realize it had been 30 years and then you know the more i thought about it i was like yeah you're right this is a really big deal it, he is the most recognizable video game character ever i don't think it's close i think the theme music might be the most recognizable piece of music in popular culture Right, right. I mean, it's not even from a movie. It's from a video game, which is it managed to transcend that world because there's plenty of people that, of course, don't play video games. But even my grandparents were probably capable of identifying that Mario theme. That's how iconic it was. Right. And for listeners and I mean, for myself and I'm sure for you growing up with the Super Mario video games, that's just that that just translates to everyone whether you're a hardcore gamer that is in love with video games like myself or someone that was just a kid growing up playing like some some sort of Mario video game everyone that's a generally shared experience by a lot of people so there's definitely a lot of hype when it comes to the expectations for what could a Mario Brothers movie be for sure just to give you Anton an idea i actually when i was compiling my notes for this episode I actually realized I played a lot more Mario in my childhood than I realized. I played one, two, and three. Classics. I I played a lot of the often overlooked Super Mario Land, which is exclusive for Game Boy. That was, that that was, was one of my one. favorite ones. Yeah, it was kind of like a smaller game, but I really liked it. Mario World and Super Mario 64 are like still two mm-hmm. of my favorite games of all time. And then I even liked Mario Galaxy. That was that was a little bit more recent, but that was a lot of fun. And then I enjoyed all the Mario Kart stuff, obviously, but also some of the more obscure stuff like Paper Mario I liked. I even liked Great Mario one. Sunshine, which is kind of a controversial one. And I liked Luigi's Mansion. So in that a lot like that's a long list of games. It is. And that just tells you the staying power, right? Yeah. Of I, I played a lot more than I realized. Franchise. I was like, oh, I have I've played a lot of these games. 
Yeah, and Nintendo has definitely been pumping out game after game, year after year, utilizing like these intellectual properties that have amazing staying power just because of that how iconic uh this franchise is and how iconic just the characters are across so many different mediums i'm I'm just i was very excited and also had very like i'd say i tempered my expectations because of that original super (laughs) uh, mario brothers film as well in general hollywood video game adaptations don't land very well so there, there was a lot riding on this release. Before we talk about this particular film, are there any good video game adaptations that you've seen? I know The Last of Us is getting a lot of praise on HBO, but that's a that's a TV show. Yeah. I'm not counting that. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good um, that's a really good call out. I think that- I thought I thought Uncharted was entertaining. I didn't think it was a great movie, but I was entertained by it. That's yeah, that's tough. I think like <laughs> Anton doesn't agree. He's like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought it was okay, but like forgettable, unfortunately. Yeah, it was like it was fine. I watched it on a plane. I was like, this is a fine way to spend two hours on a plane. Yeah, no staying power. That like, no, I, I want no. like if I'm trying to think of like a video game movie that was like this was good. I'm gonna revisit this or like uh, I don't think there is one. It's hard to think of. I mean, there is just so many bad video game adaptations. Doom that had the rock in it that was pretty terrible. Assassin's Creed, which we are going to cover on this podcast, uh, oh, was God, that was disappointing. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't want to undersell just how bad the 1993 Mario movie was. It was I have not seen it in a long time, but it is horrifying. one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Yeah, it's a it's a war crime. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that is in that category for sure. Whoever directed that movie should have been jailed. Like movie um, jail. Like I don't mean real yeah. jail. I mean movie jail. Like you can't make any more movies now. Yeah, there were some other films I have listed out that we can just look at to sh- to show that that uh, track record of video game adaptations not doing well. Uh, Street Fighter. You remember that with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yeah, and Raul Julia. Oh, great late, performance. Great, yeah, the late, great Raul Julia. It's a bad movie, uh, Mortal, Mortal Kombat 1 and Annihilation. Very meme-worthy. Uh, yeah, th- I have to say, the, the original Mortal Kombat, I have a lot of nostalgia for because I had enjoyed it as a kid, and I liked the soundtrack. It's not a good movie, though. No, no. Annihilation was an abomination. Resident Evil, the whole series, they came out with a lot of Resident Evil films. Not very good. No. They, Laura they were Croft, a, even. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was okay. Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And there was a newer one, a newer Tomb Raider, right? There was, yeah. There was a movie. With, uh, what's her name? Alicia Vikander? Vikander? Not very good. No. You know what? I'm looking at this list, probably one that I am feel better about. While not a perfect film, it's a more obscure video game film. So the Detective Pikachu movie, I thought that was better than... Yeah, I thought I thought that was better than uh, most video game adaptation films. While it wasn't an exact adaptation of the video game, loosely based on the video game Detective Pikachu. So actually, that one was pretty good. I forgot about that one. I recommend it. You know, Pat, if you haven't watched it, check it out. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who's in that? Who's in that movie? No big stars. Okay. Really? Except for the voice of Pikachu. Who's that? None other than Ryan Reynolds. Hmm. You're not selling it well. 
I'd say I'd say check it out. It's a fun it's a fun movie to see. Hey, I talked you into watching the Super Mario Brothers movie. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Well, we'll, I don't know. We'll revisit it, but in general, video game adaptations don't do very well. They have a very but, low batting average. Yeah. Well, maybe that is a good intro into the production history. Patrick, do you want to talk us through a little bit? Yes. So this is a very, very fresh. And normally when we when we talk about the production history of movies that we cover on this podcast, the older the movie, sometimes the juicier it is because there's just more and more information that can surface over the years. This movie in particular, there is actually plenty of information about the making of this movie, which is pretty cool. Sometimes with brand new movies, you just don't know a lot about it. But to get into it a bit, we mentioned the abomination that was the 1993 live action film. Um, After that, it was a complete failure, critically and commercially. Nintendo was understandably reluctant to adapt, you know, any future big screen versions of, of their games. According to Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto, the idea for a new Mario film came from bringing their older games to the virtual console, and he recognized the importance of having a real film expert lead the project. Now, what's not mentioned in the research, but something that I am sure factored into their decision making was how well received the recent Sonic movies were. Right. I haven't seen those movies, or maybe there's only one. I think there's another there's one coming two now. out. There's two. There's two now? Okay. I haven't seen either one of them, but they, they were generally received pretty well, and I'm sure that nudged Nintendo a little closer to getting this made, but they didn't say well, that Se- officially. Well, Sega does what Nintendo don't. Following the November 2014 hack of Sony Pictures, emails between producer Avi Arad, studio chief Amy Pascal, and several other studio executives were leaked, revealing that Sony had been attempting to secure the film rights to the Mario franchise for several years. Now, the emails went so far as to claim that Sony had signed a deal with Nintendo for the Mario rights, but this was later proven to be false. I just want to say shout out to the Sony hack and this individual named Amy Pascal. Both Hack and Pascal are going to resurface on this podcast when we talk about the Bond movie Spectre in a later episode mm. this season. Great Spectre was a yeah, Spectre was a very famous victim of the Sony hack. Now, through Nintendo's partnership with Universal to create the Mario-based uh, theme park attractions, later resulting in what's now Super Nintendo World, Miyamoto and met Chris Melodandri, founder of Universal Pictures' Illumination Animation Division. The two instantly forged a strong working relationship, and by 2017, reports were emerging about an upcoming Mario film. And I, I vaguely remember reading about that back. Yeah, then. I want. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. I think like that definitely. When I saw that Illumination was tied to developments for the film, there is a bit of bit more confidence there. Illumination has a great track record of putting together visually very very fun films, and I actually really do enjoy. You know what illumination has put out not necessarily the strongest hitters compared to like pixar in their heyday but very consistently like very fun films i agree i didn't i did notice in the research that illumination is kind of controversial because you have you know you like a lot of their stuff a lot of people don't and of course the comparisons to pixar are an easy one to make and then I thought about it a little more. Pixar has been kind of coasting lately. Yeah. They feast on the success of a lot of their earlier movies. At least that's just my opinion. There's, there's, Well, there's a lot more to analyze there on what caused yeah. the decline in Pixar. But I, yeah. I mean, even just when I speak to that I enjoy Illumination films, and I think the numbers speak to it too, they receive very well with like 
oh yeah kids and families yeah. very fun family friendly films yeah i i didn't see minions but i i enjoyed the despicable me movies i thought they were very entertaining but no i agree so in early 2018 nintendo officially announced that a mario film was in the works with Miyamoto and Melodandri co-producing in August 2021, it was revealed that Teen Titans Go creators Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic, Jelenic, sorry, Michael, were directing the film. It sounds like they were originally aiming for a 2022 release, but probably delays due to COVID push things back until now. Con- controversial selection there because Teen Titans Go has a very, very polarizing like uh, effect on fans of the Teen Titans franchise. I have yeah. to confess, I have no idea what it is. So there is the original Teen Titans series that was released on Cartoon Network in the 2000s. And in more recent years, Teen Titans Go was released, which is uh, a more synthesized version of Teen Titans. Very, some would say more crass humor, less of the deep plots and kind of felt more like Looney Tunes and Teen Titans um, had a baby. Mm-hmm. So Teen Titans Go, the film was actually a subversion or, or sorry, looking to subvert the themes of the original series, as well as looking at almost like stripping down what makes superhero films and superhero franchise. So it was kind of fun. But at the end of the day, it's just interesting to go with that direction, considering the polarization of Teen Titans Go. So you know a lot about it. Do you know how to pronounce Michael Jelenic's name? Is it Jelenic? Because no, no, I, I, okay. I'm not I'm not going to touch that with 10 foot pole, man. I already have a bunch of time, so I'll take the bullet for that. (laughs) Uh, Back to the production history. Uh, Matthew Fogel was hired to write the screenplay after previously working on Illumination's Minions, The Rise of Gru. The filmmakers wanted this film to serve as an origin story for Mario and Luigi. They chose to portray them as blue-collar guys by focusing on their previous backgrounds as Italian-American plumbers from Brooklyn, just like in the older games. A storytelling decision was made to interchange Princess Peach and Luigi's roles from the games, with Peach helping Mario rescue a kidnapped Luigi, because they felt having them in their original roles was, quote, too straightforward. Intelligent decision on their part. Now, for this decision, they were inspired by the game Super Mario 3D World, which features Peach as a playable character, stating that they wanted to focus on her role as the Mushroom Kingdom's monarch and, quote, how strong that person would need to be to protect the Toads, end quote. For Bowser, they decided to make that character scary, but the other side of Bowser is someone who's vulnerable and funny. (laughs) Jeff Spry of Animation Magazine has a really nice article about the development of this film. It features an in-depth interview with Horvath and Jelenic. Definitely worth a read if you want to know more about the making of this film. That's where I got a lot of my research from. It's a really pretty lengthy article and it's got a lot of good information in there. So the voice cast of this was announced September 2021. The announcement was met with a mixed reaction from from fans. Some questioned and criticized the choices, in particular Chris Pratt as Mario. There was also apparently a backlash against Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong as well. Seth Rogen made it clear to the filmmakers when they wanted to hire him that he doesn't do voices and he would only use his original voice. I don't really see what the issue was. He has a pretty memorable voice. Like, he's a big name. He has a pretty memorable voice, but I think it's more so criticizing a big studio for selecting actors for their ability to draw butts into seats versus actually selecting good voice actors. But that's what they do now. That's that's where the industry has gone. 
ex except for areas where not on the silver screen where voice actors are sought sought after for their abilities to really bring characters to life true but yeah, I, th I think that th that's that's probably something we can discuss more later. Yeah. The film was animated by Illumination Studios in Paris. The entire process took almost two years to complete. Composer Brian Tyler worked closely with longtime Mario composer Koji Kondo to incorporate themes from the games into the film's score. The bottom line is this. Up until this point, Nintendo has been extremely protective of their IP, and they very closely oversaw the production of this film. And that's the production history. So let's get into uh, the actual discussion here. Anton, why wasn't it better? Well, let's start off with number one, the pacing of the film. We have here like a film that it's a children's film. So one, there are already limitations of how much we can fit in for the amount of time we want to fit in for just a, a, a child's capacity to watch a film. So it can't be right. too long. Right. Can't be two hours. Uh, what were your thoughts of just how the pace felt for the film? So I'm of two minds on this. And it's not often that I'll probably say this on a podcast. Most of the time when we criticize movies for their pacing, it's that it's too slow. I actually feel the opposite here. I felt that several parts of this movie, it was going at like breakneck pace and it was like rushed. They get out of the Mushroom Kingdom really quickly. They go to the, uh, the Kingdom of Kong or mm -hmm. Kong Kingdom, whatever. They go there right. really quickly. They move on out of there. Like immediately they're like, he fights Donkey Kong. And they're like, let's go. It's moving at breakneck speed. And we're just jumping from set piece to set piece to set piece. And I did feel like it's it's it was a little rushed. But at the same time, to your point, it is a kid's movie. I did appreciate the 90-minute runtime. I think that's a nice runtime for a movie like this. If it had been closer to two hours, it probably would have been less effective. So that's why I say I'm of two minds on it. Yeah, interesting. What do, I mean, what do you so, think? Like, it, it, I know it's a cop out for me to say like it's too fast and not long enough at the same time, but it's probably the right length. So it's kind of a so lazy really, analysis on my part. But what do you think? So it's really interesting. I feel like one, I agree. I felt that the pace was very fast, and there was a lot to take in. It's a visually stunning film, and at the same time, there's a lot Gorgeous. of Easter eggs. A lot of Easter eggs in this in this movie. The Left most I've right, ever seen in any movie. It was super fun. That was probably oh, yeah. a lot of the fun in watching the film is like being a fan and recognizing things, understanding the references. But that doesn't necessarily lend itself to the story, which already is like paper thin. That's true. Yeah. I do think that there's probably a bit more respect that could have been given to the audience and specifically speaking to the audience of children to be able to sit through a film and have like maybe a better like be okay with the film being longer and fitting in a better and giving that breathing room to fit in maybe more story or slowing down in certain parts that really could have used it i felt like they could have spent more time in the kong kingdom i felt like there could have been better interactions in like what is it the mushroom kingdom i feel like there and i look at other films that are animated and that have done very well as to kind of stand that up so i'm a huge fan of um films by hayao miyazaki so i love spirited away i think spirited away is a really great example of a children's film that has i like to think like an amazing story really well fleshed out characters and great pacing and by the way it's a kid's movie and it's also two hours long so just a few like I understand now. Yeah. 
that's very hard to recreate the magic of a film like that. And how do you do that with a franchise like Super Mario? But I feel like it was a pretty easy opportunity, or at least there was an opportunity to just maybe give it more room to make it longer, to give them more room for creativity and fun, allowing the audience to sit in the different environments for longer. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a good, that's a good example of Spirited Away. Yeah. It's yeah. And it's also, maybe we're focused too much on runtime, right? The runtime doesn't necessarily matter when you're talking about the pacing. I've seen three-hour movies that I thought were really well-paced. Like the Lord of the Rings movies. They're not kids' movies, obviously, but they're very long movies that, that are very well-paced. And then I've actually seen 90-minute right. movies that I felt dragged in some parts. So the, the runtime is less important than the pacing. But I feel like when you have longer runtime, you have opportunity, like, there, there is still opportunity, maybe creatively, to fit in better pacing. It's a good point. Yeah, who's right? Who's wrong? I think that in this case, it like, like maybe let's think of it even like for from the example of being in the Kong Kingdom. It was very much like a comprise of like an arc of entering to gain uh, Cranky Kong's like army. Yeah, and that was like the main goal. The arc was getting to the Kong Kingdom fighting donkey kong beating donkey kong then getting the carts and then driving out there was no exploration of the world at all no no actually let's hold that let's get into the second reason which is going to be the storytelling right of why right. the second reason of why was yeah it we'll, put, we'll put a we'll put a pin on it yeah because um, the pacing is inherently linked to the storytelling they're not always the same thing, but in this case I think they're very closely linked right to so your point the story is very basic. It's about what you would expect for a movie geared towards kids. It could have benefited from having a little bit of a meteor plot. It would have been a nice bonus. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think that uh, we were talking about this before. Do you think this movie needed to have a deeper plot or a better plot? It didn't need to, but it could have benefited from having it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know what plot points they should have included. I, I'm not here to necessarily offer suggestions, but... You know, we were Anton. You, you know, we were talking about this. I think before we started recording, you got into like a mini debate with someone recently about this topic. Right? And they were like, "Well, it didn't need to have a, a better plot," and you're like, "No, it it didn't need it, but it wouldn't you have enjoyed it if it did?" Right. And I think that this is actually like it's it still harps on one of my original points from before of that just because it's a kids' movie doesn't mean it doesn't have to have a better plot. It's like. No. Sure, like it's easier to consume if there's a light plot because maybe kids can't attach kids' ability to comprehend like a deeper plot doesn't make sense. But when there are kids' films that do have a deeper plot that from the lens of an adult you can really see and really see the nuance, it does succeed. And again, I'm using a Miyazaki film, I'm spirited away to show an example of that. But even other films within that same from that same studio, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's so many examples of these are kit these were film these were films that are geared for all audiences that is able to translate well tell a good story but at the same time not sacrifice that story for assumptions of what's going to make most sense for kids and i think right. maybe that's when we're thinking about the storyline or thinking about from the studio perspective it was really selling this movie to kids and this is one of my theories with the storyline and why it makes most sense for in terms of alignment is 
the more that kids are able to just want to jump into this film and like or just want to watch this film and get their parents to bring them to the theaters and see it build the excitement to then drive their parents to take them to super nintendo world yes that's a very good point another example of where it can work both ways is the like the early pixar movies where it satisfied everything that little kids wanted but there was always a deeper there's yeah, always there was example. always deeper stuff going in in the background that would satisfy the parents as well. Now again, they don't have to do this. And to use your earlier point about when they arrive at the Kingdom of Kong, they arrive at the gate, they go on the cart to Cranky Kong. It there and there's really no you see a lot of visuals thrown at you, but there's not a lot of plot there, and you're just going from set piece to set piece. Now I have to say a, a little bit in this movie's defense. It does achieve exactly what it was trying to do. And I wasn't bored at any point. Right. You know, a, a lot of a lot of movies that are geared towards not just kids, but in this case, like they're marketing this to like seven-year-old kids. It's very easy to get bored by some of those movies. I was not bored at any point. And I saw this in a packed theater with, there was obviously a lot of kids there, but there was, of course, the parents who brought them. The parents were into it too. So there is something to be said for that. And that's definitely a plus in this, in this movie's um, favor. It's really interesting, and like I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Do you feel like with there there were a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of callbacks in this film? Do you feel like they were? Did it feel organic to you? Yes, in the fact that there was so many of them that I need to watch the movie again to take them all in because at one point I could see stuff in the background that we were getting bombarded with. And it was so many Easter eggs and so many callbacks that I probably missed half of them. But I don't think any of them were super corny. And I thought they did a good job of incorporating everything and everyone that they featured into at least the story. Like when Peach has Mario training and you have the air blocks and everything, it didn't feel like stupid to me. It actually felt like she was trying to prepare him like this is the stuff that you're with like the leveling up with the mushrooms and felt i i right. thought it was kind of cool i thought it, it felt logical to me in the moment again i've only seen the movie once i felt like that training montage <laughs> was actually an example of like not trust like i i felt like there was a better opportunity to like take that time and maybe world build a bit more versus throw in like a jukebox tune because right that was another introduce in another introduction of having like just oh, a yeah. big song a yeah um, we'll get to the pop, music a pop pop music song yeah we and have then, a whole like, section a typical, about like, the music with a section for like a training montage which is you know a pretty typical cliche i felt like like funny enough like it, it was cool because like yes these are callbacks to the video game of running across like you know the blocks and like getting the how to use the mushroom properly but maybe there could have been a better way to tell that story of like mario being able to compete in this world or being able to like like fight in these battles in that i think they already set it up really well in the beginning of the film when mario was running through brooklyn I thought yes. that that was a way better just It was clever. It was a better storytelling tactic to show that this is someone that's smart, knows how to navigate platforms and environment in a quick and very like in, in, in a quick and agile way that translated really well. And I would have expected that to translate more for why his abilities translated into the Mushroom Kingdom and ability to like help and aid Princess Peach. So I think like maybe just hearkening on that would have made more sense. Sure, you lose Perhaps. less of the references to like the blocks and like being able to like, I don't know, go through this like montage. But like story-wise, I think you already did it. You you can see he knows how to get through, jump through platforms. Why have the training montage? 
I enjoyed it, but I, I think to your point that you made earlier, if if the movie had been meatier and longer, maybe they have more time to make it less like shoved in. I enjoyed right. it though. I, I thought. Let me caveat that it could have been a lot cornier. It could have been a lot dumber than what it was. This may Fair. come from me having like no expectations at all going into this movie. So when the training montage happened, I was like, "Oh wow, they didn't like they didn't drop the ball on this." Yeah, and, and and not to say that it wasn't fun, but I almost think if there was a way to marry already established that Mario is agile and understands how to work through like different like platform jumping into maybe a real life like or sorry quote like quote real life example right right in the in the universe of jumping having to like hit the blocks or like take down enemies having that call back to his abilities probably would have been maybe even a better payoff because it's just touching back on his roots as like a plumber in Brooklyn. I just think maybe there was a a different way versus like an out of the box training montage. It kind of felt like from, this is just my opinion. It kind of felt like it was just like a, well, we're going to have a training montage box kit and we're going to have the checklist of what we need and let's have that yeah. available. And and like Peach has that readily available. I think that literally what it was, it was. Yes, it seemed that yeah. way. She yeah. was just like expecting him to show up. Good thing you're here, Mario. We have this training course set and set up and ready to go <laughs> exactly. for you. Exactly. I thought um, most of the other Easter eggs though were were pretty good they teased Yo- the yoshis in the background but it was only for a second yeah, that was awesome they're, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're clearly waiting for a sequel that you know a sequel for that uh i thought we were going to get some luigi's mansion action i thought so action, too. but they didn't do much with it that's okay though that's okay i like diddy kong's cameo that was pretty funny i laughed out loud when he was like that means you I, diddy kong yeah um for uh fellow video game fans out there um not just diddy kong but a lot of the Kongs were from like the Donkey Kong series were there. Trixie Kong. Yeah. The Kong, like the different uh, Donkey Kong characters from the um, Nintendo 64 Donkey Kong game were there. So that, that was really fun to see. Yeah. And look, Illumination deserves a ton of credit for, you mentioned it earlier, how beautiful this movie looks. Yeah. I was not expecting such lush animation. It was very creative. All the colors absolutely popped. I felt like where the the best thing I can say about it is that you never felt overwhelmed. They were bombarding you with a lot of stuff on screen. There was a lot to dazzle you, but I never felt like, I'll give you an example. Did you see uh, Ready Player One? Yes. Yeah. There was so much going on going on on the screen in that movie that I felt like you just became numb to it or like a Michael Bay Transformers movie where there's so yeah. much going on on the screen you're you just you're not quite sure what you're supposed to look at not so here they did a really good job of not only animating it but incorporating the animation into into the story and especially the best example of that here is the set pieces the set pieces are a joy to watch. You know, we've said what we said about the plot and or the lack thereof, but you mentioned the side-scrolling stuff in Brooklyn. That was very cleverly done. It didn't feel shoehorned in. The training montage, eh, I, you feel a type of way about that. Nonetheless, the Mario versus Donkey Kong fight, I thought yep, was really entertaining. Was the cart chase on Rainbow Road, I thought that was the highlight of the movie. I thought it was awesome. It felt alive. and that yeah, was, it really did. It, they put a lot hard, of work hard. into it. And that's yeah. hard to capture that. 
it honored the spirit of the games at the same time. It felt fresh at the same time. I didn't feel like I was watching just a retread of something that happened in a game. Not that I'm an expert on the games, but you know what I mean. And then the final battle in Brooklyn, very fulfilling, I thought. It was a great climax. Exciting way to also bring to bring it home. How how do you uh, right like how do you bring it all together of all of the issues back home and then the issues of having to figure out like how to defeat Bowser? Just do it at like just do it in Brooklyn. And I thought that was really fantastic to see that all tie together. It was very satisfying. They they got that part right, which I guess is probably the best thing you could say about the storytelling. They got the set pieces right. Now let's talk about the voice cast. Ooh, voices. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> all right. Chris Chris Pratt, what did you think? First of all, he's a plumber from Brooklyn. It sounds like his family has been in Brooklyn for a long time, or a long-standing Brooklyn family. Yes. Does that man sound like he was from Brooklyn in that film? No, but it didn't bother me. Yeah, fair enough. I don't, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it bothers me as much that he didn't have like a strong like Brooklyn or Long Island accent. I think that more so it was just the energy that one would expect with a more talented voice actor. Actors on the screen, like there are some that can really bring scenes to life versus others where you're just like, eh, that that probably was a better fit. Voice actors, they're built for this. They know how to use their voices to uh, as tools to bring scenes to life versus That's just fair. reading the lines. I felt like Chris Pratt did a good job of reading the lines, but I really felt like there could have been a great job if you put in someone that is a trained voice actor. I can't disagree with you. I thought he did a a fine job. You could have slotted in other actors who maybe would have done better. I'm okay personally with them not having Charles Martinet voice the role. I I don't know if I could have dealt with that over the top Italian accent for 90 minutes, but... I hear you on Chris Pratt. I don't he didn't make or break the movie is what I'm trying to say. Right. I think that it's it's really interesting to think about this, but even just like cartoons nowadays or like some cartoons that I love growing up, and maybe you'll see this too, how often can you tell when it's a voice actor playing the character versus when there's a guest actor and the, there's a cameo in the scene? right is it pretty distinct when you have someone like a celebrity guest actor on the series of like the simpsons or family guy versus the original voice actor that they're interacting with in the scene it depends I'm, there's so many examples but i think you're right generally speaking some actors are good at it and some aren't right like um right you know how we talked about david warner before on an older <laughs> episode on planet of the yeah. apes He's a really right. you know legendary character actor. A lot of people probably don't realize that he did a lot of voice work as well. He was all he was a uh, Ra's al Ghul in the Batman animated series. He did other stuff as well. Or like um, you know who Clancy Brown is? I'm sure you do. Yes, yes, yeah. He's someone that can do live action and voice acting kind of seamlessly. Now, to your point, actors are usually better at one or the other. It's it's probably rare that you can get both. So so this is this is my example for where it translates well for screen but doesn't translate well for like animation. So when you think of the Christopher Nolan Batman, when you think of Christian Bale as Batman, it makes sense in the context of the film just the way that Batman speaks and the way that he interacts with the world, he sells it. He lives it. That's Batman there. I don't think he would translate as well if you put Christian Bale as that Batman or in that voice 
into the way that Batman was animated in the original like 90s depiction from the Batman animated series where you had Kevin Conroy do the voice of Batman. Oh, yeah. And how iconic is the way that that Batman is depicted and brought to life by the voice acting of Kevin Conroy. Rest in peace. And then, of course, his foil, while Heath Ledger did a fantastic job as the Joker, big props to who I think is still going to be the voice of the Joker when I think of the Joker as Mark Hamill. He's the best Joker. Yeah. So very clear, distinct examples of voice actors being able to bring to life characters in a way that's very unique and distinct from the way actors can portray those same characters in the live screen. And sometimes we can see examples of voice actor or screen like actors translate to voice acting. But I think this was a huge missed opportunity. Chris Pratt did not make or break this movie, but I, I can't disagree with what you're saying. Like you, you make very fair points. I did like Charlie Day as Luigi. I thought he did a he didn't have nearly as many lines, but he he did the, he did a lot with it. But yeah, he's not really favorite, like a star like Chris Pratt is. He's a different kind of actor. Right. I mean, I think like probably a lot of I mean, a lot of the criticism too is just people the studios pick Chris Pratt cuz that's going to draw people into the film. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, sure. same same thing with the rest of the characters. I mean, let's touch on the other characters as well. So you had Anna Taylor Joy as Princess Peach, not a voice big actor. Big name, been a lot, yeah. been on a lot of films. That's really drawn a lot of the buzz in the past few years. So it makes sense from a studio perspective to attach her name to the film, but not a yeah, not a great performance. I think you know what really would have benefited Peach if it had been Cameron Diaz doing the Irish accent from Gangs in New York. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna workshop that one. Um, I I so, um, yeah. she's not a she's not a very talented voice actress, I don't think. But I I did like how they characterized Peach. I thought it was a nice right. change. It was refreshing to see her playing a badass as opposed to the usual damsel in distress. I thought that was a yeah. really intelligent uh, characterization choice on their part. It was very fun. And what's even funnier is like I feel like the way that the voice actress or the way that the voice actor portrayed or the way that Anna Taylor joy portrayed peach felt very flat. It didn't feel very fun. And I feel like there probably could have been more opportunity to really bring that character to life, to even play into a princess character. Now imagine this from my perspective, it would have been even better if you had someone that was really trained to do like a Disney princess like voice for princess peach and that subverts expectations for the audience when this is actually a character that's kicking ass, taking names, and actually the one trying to take down Bowser, but in a voice portrayal that actually speaks more into the ear of what we'd assume would be like a D- Disney princess. And I actually want to think of like uh, famous voice actresses like Tara Strong, who look up that name and you'll just see almost every single cartoon you saw as a kid as a someone who had a really who has a fantastic presence that probably could have really done well in that role but voice acting is an opportunity to again bring life but also subvert expectation which in this case like we got it half right with the character portrayal but maybe could have even brought it even further and made it a really great with a proper voice acting I like some of the smaller roles too, like Keegan Michael Kay. He was doing a pretty yep. a pretty cool voice for Toad, I thought. But yeah. he's a very he he's done voice acting before. He's an experienced voice actor. Yes. But who did the you, best work here? Or is anyone is there anyone you want to add? 
before we get to uh, uh, the the uh, the tour de force performance from this movie? Well, let, let's just go straight to it. Um, Jack Black killed it as Bowser. I've crushed it. Like, just you can tell he had so much fun with this role. He puts yes, huh. he puts so much energy into it. He's absolutely the highlight. By far the best voice performance in the film. It's the perfect role for him. He's like a human cartoon character to begin with. And I, I mean that in the best way. I mean that in yeah. the best way possible. But yeah. apparently it was his idea to do the singing. They weren't that wasn't originally in the script. <laughs> so, that was just I love that. That, that all, is just so cool. That was all that Jack is just Black. So cool. I did enjoy hearing Sebastian Maniscalco too as Spike. Small role, yes. but I thought I, I like he I, I'm a fan of his. It was cool to see him in the movie. Uh, and for those that didn't catch this, uh, Fred Armisen of SNL fame um, and many other roles as well played Cranky Kong. I actually yes. really liked it. I really liked that portrayal. I thought it was funny. I did. And I, I like Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, too. I, I, I didn't mind it. I don't know why people had a problem with it. I'm I'm actually in the camp of I really wish they hadn't chosen Seth Rogen for that. I didn't mind it. Um, I didn't. So, I mean, we touched on this. Seth Rogen really didn't want to do voices. He just wants to do his own voice, which is actually a huge criticism of Seth Rogen throughout his career is that in everything that he is, he's been in, he just is Seth Rogen. It's not whatever character was written for that film part. It's just Seth Rogen. So I think that's why even for me, like seeing him chosen as Donkey Kong, like, okay like he has like a bit of a gruff voice and says and his voice sounds a little funny so maybe that makes sense as donkey kong but at the end of the day like it's hard for me to think of donkey kong i just think of seth rogan all right you changed my mind i hate him now (laughs) i mean do you agree with the points i made i do agree with you i i'm just kind of kidding though i I didn't mind him as donkey kong i thought he did fine Uh, uh. i thought jack black absolutely nailed it it's, it's one of the most memorable voice performances I've ever heard in a movie. I thought everyone else did fine. They Nobody was amazing, but I didn't feel that any of the choices like ruined it, where you're just like, I can't believe they chose Chris Pratt. He's fine. Right. Well, I did like how the they, end of the- real quick, when they at the very beginning of the movie, when they're doing the commercial and they're doing the exaggerated voices, I did like oh. how they transitioned out of it. I thought that was really funny. They're like, "Well, we just did the voice for the commercial." I was I, that made me laugh. Yeah, I I thought that was fantastic. There was a female character in there that, and, and I thought the gag was really funny. Where in the commercial, it seems like she's reading the lines like off of cue cards, and yes. then she even yes. is confused by what she's reading. That's the kind of humor that is translates a lot or like that i think is a hallmark of illumination films i feel like illumination films are just fun another trademark that i always really love in illumination films are aspects that are very almost absurdist humor and they're not afraid to put that in i'm speaking specifically of that one luma star that was also in the in the the dungeon. that was great it's so good it's so good Watch other Illumination films and you see more of that. Just very off-the-wall humor just inserted in places where it's like, did that just happen? <laughs> the Lumistar bit was such a deep cut because you really have to be a Mario fan to get it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, 
I have to admit, I did not recognize it at first until the character kept talking. And then I realized, oh, it's the little things from Mario Galaxy. Okay. Exactly. But yeah. it's a it's a it's a great example of when we when we were doing the production history and i ended it with like nintendo very closely oversaw production of this and that's a that's probably the best example of it. it's all those little details that you can really tell the folks who worked on this movie were actual fans of the games they weren't just hired to right. make a movie they were real mario fans to write that yeah. in yeah and i think that that's where I do have to give a lot of credit to the film is that you can, while it wasn't a perfect film, they made a fun film. And Oh yeah. yeah. I think I had like, a lot of fun watching this. Like worse than like, I feel like what the worst thing that could have come out would have been like a boring Mario film. Oh, like the thought of that is just horrible, horrible to think about the <laughs> fact that you could at least put out a fun film. That's fine with me. I love that. It doesn't have to be a perfect film, but at least it was fun. It was the before um, we wrap this up. The last yeah. reason why this wasn't better, the music. I already touched a little bit on this. <laughs> you, why, you, you why, why don't you? Uh, why don't you kick things off? Well, there's good and bad here. I thought the actual score composed by Brian Tyler, brilliant. He made yes. excellent use of the original game's themes, but he didn't overuse them or rely on them at any point. The music stands by itself. I actually listened to the uh, the entire score when I was working the other day on Spotify. Oh, and it's just it's a really beautiful, it's a gorgeous score to listen to. Yeah, it's really very satisfying. So he give Brian Tyler a lot of credit for that, and it's also a, it's a complete score too. It's a ninety minute movie. The score is ninety minutes. He put a lot of work into it, and I do want to give him a ton of credit for it. But the use of the songs that they inserted into this film, the pop songs, intrusive, Garbage. random, terrible. They added nothing to the story. It seemed to me like they were trying to go for the same effect as Shrek, but Shrek did a much better job of incorporating their song choices into the plot. Not so here. Yeah. In the very beginning when Bowser attacks the uh, Frappy Snowland with the penguins, or am I, right. is that right? Is that Frappy Snowland or is that a different? Uh, I don't know. I actually don't. I, I was actually thinking about that. I don't know where that exactly translated into in the mario verse i thought the penguins were from mario kart 64 on that ice but i thought it was mario 64 um where there there's like that that ice penguin area like oh that oh, um, we're either both so, wrong or both right yeah but anyway <laughs> yeah no, i think you're right uh but, any, but when when bowser attacks that and then they you hear the kill bill music dumb it that's been used in so many movies at this point it's it's just pick something else. Take on me is being played. The, when they arrive in the kingdom of Kong, it's like that doesn't take on me. What does it or, have to do or with cliche running through? Oh, we gotta get to the house in Brooklyn. Beastie Boys. Yeah, no sleep it, till Brooklyn. What? Very strange. It it's none of the none of the song choices work for me. And at the end, when he wakes up to when Mario wakes up to Mister Blue Sky, I actually just rolled my eyes. Like. There were so many better choices to just because, like you touched on in the beginning, the 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 franchise already has so much fantastic music to build off of. Why not use that to really bring oh, the film, uh, 100%. really attach the film? Right? I say drop all the pop songs and you have a brilliant score from Brian Tyler. Just use that. It reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy. All the song drops. I don't mean that in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough but fu but funny enough i think that that made more sense because 
uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy because that plot was like also supported or the yes. music was an important part of the plot, right? Because the main character had the Walkman and the cassette tape and it's like basically you're listening to his set list. Yes. That makes yes. way more sense. Yes. I don't think that we're listening to uh, to the Mario Brothers set list if we're having all of these pop culture, these pop songs just inserted into the film. No, no. It, it, I really think that 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 was just a big studio decision of what would make like, oh yeah, we got to do this. There's mass appeal here. Yeah, you can you can tell you can almost picture them in like a um in a meeting about it, and they're like Chris Pratt. He was in this Marvel movie called Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was chock full of pop songs <laughs> what if bear with me on this guys what if they enter the kingdom of kong they get on a cart and what do we hear aha and then someone goes well pat what what does a uh, take on me have to do with uh, a go-kart ride in the kingdom of kong nothing but we're gonna put it in anyway oh my gosh and it's very <laughs> real <laughs> i mean i guess what would we expect for a studio that also like put in all of these uh, actors as the key voice actors for these roles. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, there's, there's not much more to be said. I do think that like the music was a very clear opportunity to make this film better. And when they did have the themes in the score, like shine through, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I loved it so much more opportunity. I enjoyed the score so much. I sat all in the theater all the way through to the end credits. I just was listening to the music and loving it. Because of the success of this film, I do expect now there to be like a, a Mario cinematic universe. I hope that maybe they can take away a, some learnings from this first film and not inject more pop songs in the rest of these films. Let's hope not. Yeah, you know, you're, you know we're going to get a Super Smash Brothers movie at some point. Oh, and the, this opens the door for basically the, the the whole Nintendo library. Legend of Zelda is begging to get a film well, like franchise made. I'm glad you brought up Zelda because do you remember a few years ago there was rumors swirling about a Zelda series for Netflix? And right. it was more than just rumors. It was going somewhere, but Nintendo pulled the plug on it for whatever reason. It's probably for the right reasons, but we've all been waiting for some sort of Zelda adaptation basically our whole lives. Hopefully this leads to that sometime in the future. Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll hope. Yeah. Um, should we should we wrap things up? Yeah. Did you like it? So my my rating here is I gave it a I, I give it a C plus. There were flaws that were too glaring for me, but at the same time, I had fun watching it. And I was really impressed with how Mario translated to the big screen and the way that Illumination did it. So for that, I give it a C plus. While there were areas that definitely could have made it a much better film, I understand like not all films are perfect. Um, but if we could have got, I think if we could have gotten maybe an, a better investment in the plot, an opportunity for, I agree, better pacing in the film and uh, just taking out these music choices that really take you out of the film. Even those very simple things could have given us a much better film. Now, my take on this film with an example uh, where, and a reminder of history where fan feedback and fan criticism bullied filmmakers so much that it was to the benefit of the film. And I want to remind listeners about 
the original trailer that that released for the Sonic the Hedgehog film. And for that Sonic the Hedgehog film, the Sonic depiction was considered so just gross and so unnerving that the reception was terrible, that there was so much negative backlash that the studio decided to completely gut to gut the trailer and com- go from scratch of how they were going to depict Mar- uh, sorry Sonic for the Sonic the Hedgehog film. It worked. A trailer came out, a rendition of Sonic that was truer to the video game was released for the actual release. So to me, that gives me hope that studios are listening and that if there's enough criticism and enough call-outs to what could make the next film better, that we can hopefully get it. <laughs> I had a blast watching this movie. It was fun. It was faithful to the games. It was animated beautifully. It was interesting to watch it in a theater. You know, this is a movie that's, I'm not the target audience for this at all. So it was really interesting to watch it in a theater like that. I don't think it's anything special, but it was a well-executed, entertaining movie. And it achieved what it set out to do. A lot of it felt like a love letter to Mario fans. It had a paper-thin plot, but I'm okay with it. It's about what I expected going in. I wasn't disappointed. I don't think it did anything badly. Parts of it felt rushed, but I was never bored. It's taken a long time, but I think possibly the movie industry may be finally getting around to figuring out video game adaptations. I rated this a B-. I thought it was good. It had issues, but I was able to overlook them. I put a caveat on that, subject to change, because... I've only seen it once, but yeah, I'm B-, B minus. I'm not far away from you at all. Yeah. Well, that that just about wraps things up for uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I thought that uh, we had we hit on a lot of great points. And again, this is a point in time where there's more to see on how this film continues to like generate more. Well, one money in the box um, office. It's gonna make a lot more money. And maybe let's let's think of some predictions. Patrick, do you feel like this film is going to win any awards come award season? Definitely not. No. No. Okay. But they don't I don't think they care. And in some ways I kind of respect movies that do that. Well, I think I agree. I don't think that this film is going to win come award season, but I no. do hope for the day that we get critical acclaim for a video game adaption because video games do have the opportunity if adapted correctly to really be beautiful storytelling and film the so. best chance for that may be in the last of us example it may be on something like hbo it may it might not be in a movie theater you never know i think that if they can't do it with legend of zelda like just because that almost that, has to be a series though right that that's a lot yeah. of stuff to pack into a two-hour movie it's a lot, but at the same time, like, it's really funny because, like, even if you think of just one of the games, like, A, a Link to the Past, like, the original ones from Super Nintendo, it doesn't take up that much memory, like, on the actual, like, console. No, like, no. You, it's, you need a lot of CGI. To bring it to life and to tell a proper story, I, I think that the stories that video games tell is worth it. And I hope to see the day where there's critical recognition for a film that did it right. We'll get there one day. I've been hoping for a Metal Gear Solid adaptation for oh, 20 that'd be years. So sweet. <laughs> well, maybe in the near future, if they want to include Solid Snake in the Super Mario, or sorry, in the Smash Brothers film, eventually. <laughs> um, I 
don't see that fitting into this current cinematic universe that Mario has established. No, but hey, I didn't expect him to be in Super Smash Brothers Ball, but hey, there he was. This, this is fair. Well, that's it for the Super Mario Brothers movie. So we're doing this. This is a, you know, we mentioned in the beginning, this is like an emergency recording in a way. So we're going to be releasing this before the Gangs of New York episode. It is technically your turn to choose again. So listeners will be hearing Gangs of New York next week after this episode. But what will listeners be hearing us talk about after Gangs of New York? So I think that uh, it'd be great for us to return to superhero uh, themes and take a look at Iron Man 2. Oh, our first Marvel movie. Yeah, starting to dive in. Speaking of cinematic universes. That is the cinematic universe. Yeah. Well, it's we'll, the, we'll uh, the, uh, yeah. dive into it's the that. Most com- it's the most competent cinematic universe. Well, I don't know if you if, if you ask certain directors like Scorsese, I don't think they'd agree. <laughs> Scorsese's a dick. Yeah, fair enough. Like, he's cool, but you can tell, like, just when you hear him interviewed, he's a dick. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he, he's a dick, and he judges real hard. Yeah. But if I were Martin Scorsese, I'd be a dick, too. So yeah, it's okay. We're cool with Thank you. Thank you, listeners. If you haven't, go watch this film in theaters. I yeah, think it's, that it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our wrap up, and I'm Anton Paras, and that's this episode of Why Wasn't It Better. And I'm Patrick Darms. We will see you next time. <laughs>